Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I'm the great Brian Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again as we look at Mid-South Wrestling Television from May 15th, 1982. But before we get there, before we listen to all of the action here on the show, let me introduce Mike Mills from the Book in the Territory podcast. And Mike, Bill Watts is back this week, so business has to pick up. It absolutely has to pick up. Last week, you heard how uh, mundane it can be when the Cowboy is not in the commentary chair. But this week, he's back, and I think things pick up just based on that. There is also some other very entertaining things that go on in this episode. But Watts being back in the commentary, I always want to say commentary booth, but I guess for Mid-South, it's technically a table. So he's back at the commentary table with Boyd, and it's it's definitely going to be a good show. Let's now listen to Boyd and Bill Watts open the show. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and we have a tremendous card You'll see the Mississippi heavyweight champion, Mr. Olympia, take on 454-pound one-man gang. Also, the Captain Redneck is here, Dick Murdoch. He'll be going in against rugged Kim Duck in a bounty match. Tag team action sees Ted DiBiase join forces with the big cat Ernie Ladd against the mask assassin and Bob Roop. There'll be other great matches on the card. Our guest commentator this week, the Oklahoma Stampeder, Bill Watts. Bill, before I turn the microphone over to you, last week you wasn't here. Lots of things happened. My guest commentator was Ted DiBiase. He was baited, and he just couldn't resist the temptation. And like Dusty Rhodes a a few months ago, he left the table and entered into it. Therefore, he was fined by Mid-South Wrestling $2,500. We'll be showing the fans later on in this week's program that incident, but... Right now, I just want to tell you about it before I turn it over to you. Well, certainly, Boyd, and I watched that film, and actually, Ted DiBiase wasn't even baited like uh, Dusty Rhodes had been. I think it's just that he was so emotionally involved because them trying to re-injure any lad, and DiBiase had been injured at their hands himself. But we also have some good news. The That's good fine. news is May the 5th in Jackson, Mississippi, the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia won the Mid-South Tag Team titles. They beat Skandar Akbar's Afa and Sika, the Samoans, in that match, and they are now the... Mid-South Tag Team Champions. And, of course, Mr. Olympia will have probably the toughest test of his young career here today against the one-man gang. But without further ado, let's go to Reeser Bowden in the ring for this first big bout. Well, there it is, the news that Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia on May 5th in Jackson, Mississippi, win the tag team titles from the Samoan Warriors, Afa and Sika, who are now gone. You know, they'll be in Georgia, they'll return to the World Wrestling Federation, but they are gone from here. And we have a new tag team champions, the Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia. One other note. Boyd Pierce appears to have, and it's hard to see because, you know, it's not HD back then in 1982, a printout, a piece of paper with a printout of the format. Bill Watts has a yellow legal pad with his notes on it right in front of him. Yeah, <laughs> old school at its finest. Um, I, I, you, you talked about the Samoans, how they're gone. It was funny because Boyd, if you remember last week at the end, Boyd mentioned the, the Samoans would be there. So interesting little nugget there. But, you know, things happen and things change. and. Uh, Dog and Olympia won the tag belt, so there you go. Well, from there, Mike, we go to our first match on this show. It is the Grappler versus Coco Samoa with Alfred Neely as the referee. The first thing I noticed was, and I could be wrong, it looked to me like they have a new ring mat. Either that or they clean that sucker up pretty good because that damn thing is spotless. I mean, it is, and when I, it's it's you know that light blue, but it's damn clean. So either it's new or they put a, a shampooer to that sucker. I would, I would go with new. Cause uh, when it comes to blood stains, you're just not going to get some of that stuff out of there. So yeah, let's just say it's new, man. 
Bill Watts, of course, talks about whatever he wants during this match. And here's a little bit about Dick Murdoch and what could potentially be in his backpack. Murdoch, a bounty match. Seems like Skander Akbar is hiring people, trying to take care of the Captain Redneck. Proud of being a Marine. We'll be hearing the Marine Corps hymn from the halls of Montezuma when Dick Murdoch comes to the ring in his camouflage gear with his backpack and his trenching tool and who, who knows what else. There's even rumors there's an armadillo in that, in that backpack, but I'm not sure about that, Boyd Pierce. I wouldn't doubt it one bit, Bill, knowing Dick Murdoch. No, there could be something more potent. It could be his unwashed laundry. I imagine after Murdoch, as crazy as he is, that could make you have worse effect on you than an armadillo. Well, the match is a good little back-and-forth match. The Grappler wins with a shoulder slam is the best way I could describe it. It's kind of like a bulldog on the shoulder. How would you describe it? Yeah, it, it was like he had him almost in like a, he had his arm extended out, and then he went into a bulldog-type move to it. That's a, that's actually exactly what I had, too, where the, he, he face-plants him. Um, I thought it was – I say this all the time. Every time I see Len Denton, the Grappler, he is just so damn good, so smooth – He's just freaking awesome. His bumps, everything he does looks just great. And I, I mean, here it was, he's against Coco Samoa. I mean, definitely not like a, you know, no five-star match or whatever, but, and, or, or nor is Samoa some big name main eventer, but opening match and you got just the grappler out there just doing what he does best, wrestling. And it was just a nice little quick entertaining match beyond Watts' commentary other than that. I mean, uh, Linden, he's just so good, man. He's just, he's just He was just a great wrestler. And we're not getting any of his local promos here, but he did great promos, and he was over with the fans. They knew he was a heel. They knew the loaded boot gimmick. It was over. It really makes me question bringing them back, him and Tony Anthony, when they were the Dirty White Boys. I think it may have been more effective bringing them back as the Grapplers, which, of course, they eventually became as a tag team and uh, had a pretty good run in Southwest and uh, Kansas City. But they bring them in as the Dirty White Boys, which was a gimmick they got in Memphis. It really makes me think in 85 they should have brought them back as the Grapplers. I wish they would have, because to be honest with you, when they, as a kid, I say this as a kid, not now, when they came in as the Dirty White Boys, I was like, who's this? You know, I, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know. I wasn't smart to it. Whereas if, if back then they would have brought him in as the grapplers, I, I think I would have had like a better idea and would have like, Ooh, the grapplers back. You know what I mean? So as a kid, as obviously now I know, but back then it was different. Plus the loaded boot is just so cool. Uh, it's uh, that is like so simple, but effective And Watts. We didn't really talk about it, but once again, on commentary, he reinforced that at the, at the start of the, uh, the match where he talks about the reinforced boot that the grappler has because of, uh, you know, a doctor's permission note or whatever, but just watching the grappler, he's, he was just such a good wrestler. Now we get a rather interesting portion of the program, and before we get to the main body of it, let's listen to Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce intro this next segment, which is going to be a Paul Ellering workout with children. Let's, let's listen to this right now. Boyd, precious Paul Ellering is without a doubt one of the most colorful, unique individuals we've ever witnessed here on Mid-South. Tremendous competitor, crazy style, uh, a personality that's, you just got to say, is kind of different. Tremendously powerful, proud of his ability and his working out. And, of course, in Columbus, Georgia, June the 15th, 1981, he sustained a severe knee injury. That also happens to be the home of Houston Clinic, the orthopedic clinic with Dr. Anderson, the same man, by the way, that operated on Ernie Ladd. And he repaired, pr repaired Precious Paul's knee. 
But then on January the 5th, when Precious Paul came back in a match with one of Akbar's henchmen in it, in New Orleans, the knee was re-injured. And he is presently rehabilitating it and says in July he'll be ready to start back in the ring. But he wants to share at home with the fans his style of working out, which I bet is really unique. Here's a short excerpt, a spotlight on Precious Paul Ellering. Let's join that now. Real quick, Mike, before we get to this Ellering workout, he mentions that Ellering got hurt I think on January 5th in New Orleans, I actually don't have a record of that match. What I had was when I went back and looked on January 1st in Shreveport, there was a no contest between Ellering and the Iron Sheik. And then a week later in Jackson on the 8th, Ellering beat Ed Wiskowski. So I'm not exactly sure where the injury did happen, but when he mentioned Akbar's henchman, that's who he's referring to is the Iron Sheik. Yeah, because it's been, I, it's hard to realize now it's been, you know, five months now since he left. So, uh, I did not. I hadn't looked at it when he said that, but I'm glad you did. Uh, We we also had mentioned back then that you and I were like, all right, Ellering's gone. I think we gave the impression that he's gone for good. And I I, I knew at the time he wasn't gone for good. So that wasn't the intent. I think when we said that, uh, even if we slipped and said it, but because of these workout segments that are coming in, let me just say this before you play this next one. Uh, This isn't even the most absurd thing we're going to see. And I'll just leave it at that or here. Well, the happiest person to see Ellering return is clearly Reeser Bowden, who was his old pal from the promos when we first started this podcast, you may remember. But one other note, on the WWE Network, for those of you who watch the network for the Mid-South shows, you don't get the full version of this. For some reason, they cut out the opening 30 seconds or so, and then, of course, they edit generic music over Olivia Newton-John's physical. We're going to play the original version as it aired on TV. So the sound quality is not going to be as good as some of the other clips on this show, but we thought we would want to play the entire run so you get to hear all the interaction between Paul Ellering and Reeser Bowden. Let's go to this right now. Here's Paul Ellering teaching the children how to do sit-ups. I know that everyone in our viewing audience, men, women, and children alike, have admired the helpful and beautiful physique of precious Paul Ellering. Well, I might remind you that precious Paul Ellering did not come by that beautiful body accidentally. And he's got a few things that he'd like to say to you that might help you along that way. You know, Reeser, Precious Paul loves kids. (laughs) Precious Paul once was a kid. (laughs) Kids are people too. A -a walk-a-doo, 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 doo-doo. You know, even as a baby, Reeser, I grabbed the nurse instead of the bottle. (laughs) Precious Paul is going to show all these good-looking, healthy children how to work out. We're going to pump up. So we're going to do some sit-ups. And after it's all over, Precious Paul will show them what it is and what they can shoot for to be like Precious Paul. I know all the kids want to talk like Precious Paul. They all want to look like Precious Paul. And now we're going to do it. Let's do it. You ready? All right. Sit up, Okay, 
got to pause this. Paul Ellering is doing such a bad job <laughs> of keeping these kids doing the same thing. There are two kids with their feet with their feet <laughs> locked together doing sit-ups. One kid, poor Buddy Landell, is holding one kid's legs down. And then there's a whole area. There's like four or five girls. And they're all doing different things. One's doing leg lifts. One's doing leg lifts into a sit-up, into a crunch. The other two don't seem to know exactly what to do. Jesse Barr is standing there awkwardly. It's such a weird segment. I just had to stop it and break it down for one moment here, Mike. But uh, we can return it, to this. What, what are you to say? It, get, it, it gets more weird, too. I mean, and this is not like, okay, one, this is not the weirdest of the workout segments. Two, it, it gets more weird in a second, too. Let's go to more of this right now. Precious Paul is going to do his sit-ups now. I want now Precious Paul will do his sit-ups. You know, Racer Precious Paul is like fine china. I am one classy dish. <laughs> he is indeed. All you have to do is take one look at that magnificent physique and you'll agree. And that is 135 pounds that he's doing sit-up with on his chest. see what he's got coming up now can you believe this i don't believe this good grief and jesse barr only weighs 236 buddy landell at 234 pounds coming off of the top rope right on the abdomen of precious paul ellery is that something you, too, can have a physique like that if you work for it. Talk to me, Daddy! Yeah! Whoa! You can't exactly tell if you're just listening, but after Paul Ellering tells the kids to go sit in the corner, he brings in a, a bench locks his feet in buddy landell puts plates on his chest and he does i don't know eight sit-ups and then he stops and then he goes to lay in the corner and jesse Barr just jumps off the top rope and just lands both feet right on paul ellering's stomach and then ellering gets up and does it on the other side with landell the entire time Risa bowden appears to just be in awe of the beautiful physique as he puts it a paul ellering <laughs> Reeser said what's he gonna do now Oh, well, look at that. <laughs> wow. Did you hear the excitement when, when, when Jesse Barr jumped down onto his stomach? That was a great moment. I, th this is going to get even, like I said, this isn't even the most absurd workout segment that they have. This is just one of one of a couple. But th there's one. I can't remember if it's the next one because it's been a while since I watched it or the one after that. 
but there's one where I, the, the jokes that we, we made the show, we, we played it once on Book of the Territory. The jokes that we made about it were just uh, very unprofessional and, and rather sad, to be honest. But the, these segments are crazy. Um, he Basically, for, for anybody who's not watching along, he did Finn Balor's finisher. He had the guys kind of do Finn Balor's finisher off the top rope, except Finn kind of bends his knees a lot more than what Buddy and Jesse Bard do when they land on Ellering's stomach. And you could tell Reeser had no clue. Once again, Reeser doesn't know what's going on. He has no clue. You could just tell by his reaction. He's like, oh, what's coming up next? What's he about to do now? And he's you could see him a couple times. He reaches the mic like to he thinks Paul's about to say something and he pulls it back. He's like on a string. It's it's really weird. Reeser doesn't know what's going on here again, though. So it's kind of comical in that. And just the whole the whole scene where the kids were sent to the corner to be punished while while Ellering finishes his workout it's just it's just funny segment overall finn bauer may weigh 190 pounds buddy landell here is like 230 like legit he's a big guy jesse bar is a big guy but you got by the way you got to watch jesse bar's face while ellering's posing in front of him and he's just standing yeah. there and he has a look on his face like what is this what am i doing mm-hmm. here and uh yeah so that's paul ellering before we move on let's uh, let bill watts wrap this segment up for us well, we want to thank the kids in the audience that helped him participate. And, of course, 135 pounds is a lot of steel to sit there and do setups with. Next week, Precious Paul is going to feature push-ups, and we'll all look in for that. Okay, Bill, and we'll be back. Mr. Olympia versus 454-pound one-man gang after this important message from Mid-South Wrestling. And from there, as they mentioned, Mike, we do move on to Mr. Olympia, the Mississippi State champion, versus the one-man gang in a non-title match. And the gang made the good decision to wear black tights, not not tights, black trunks now instead of the blue, which I thought were incredibly unflattering. At least black makes them look a little better, I think. Yeah, and another thing, too, with this match, I want to say as far as matches go, at least for a singles match for gang, I think this is probably his biggest TV match yet. I know he's been involved in some tag stuff that, you know, may have had some more names in it, but I like how they started this thing with gang showing his power a few times and Olympia tried to lock in a sleeper and gang just tosses him off like a rag doll. They did that a couple of times where gang just, you know, he locks it in, but gang just tosses him off. I mean, Eventually, Olympia, he's able to chop down Gang, but where Gang finally takes a bump. But uh, for a TV match where you, you got limited time and it's not really a pay-per-view, so you can't really – or not just a pay-per-view, but a big show where you don't have a, you know, time for a 20-minute match or so. I thought this was, I thought this was really good, and I, I like the short story they told with Gang uh, trying to chop – not Gang, but Olympia chopping down Gang uh, to get him off of his feet. Yeah, the place really pops when Olympia hits him with a drop kick. They like really explode for that. Alfred Neely, by the way, the referee for this, and let's listen to some audio of the finish of this match, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Oh, the one-man gang drove him into that turnbuckle, crushing his spine. Going for that big splash. Olympia managed to get out. Olympia leaving the ring. No, he's going to the top. He drop kicked him. What a fantastic move in the momentum. The one-man gang went right over the top rope. Mr. Olympia drop kicking the one-man gang. And Akbar's protesting as the referees counted them both. Both men are down. Akbar's up protesting. He's protesting Mr. Olympia. He's coming off the top rope. Uh, automatic disqualification. That's when you jump off on your opponent. But Mr. Olympia... Hit him a drop kick. That's a judgment decision. And also, 
Mr. Olympia came up and saw Skandar Akbar. Drop kicking him, but the one-man gang is right back there. One-man gang with his hand raised in victory, Bill, the to the delight right. of Skandar Akbar, who's waved him out of the ring. We'll be back. A wild battle, Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch versus Kim Duck after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Okay, really cool there at the finish. Like they just said, Mr. Olympia climbs to the top rope and hits a drop kick on the gang, who once again goes flying through the ropes and takes a bump onto the floor. He's done this now several times, and uh, it's pretty impressive. But that should be a disqualification in Mid-South Wrestling coming off the top rope, but it's a babyface that did it, so it's a judgment call by the referee. But Akbar. And, and, and rightly so, is upset about this, that there wasn't a disqualification. He gets in the ring. Olympia starts hitting him. That's when you hear the place popping. Throws him out of the ring. It's interesting. He actually doesn't throw him out of the ring. He hits him with a drop kick. Akbar goes flying. And when Olympia lands from his own drop kick, that's when the gang hits him with the elbow. It's really done well at the end. The whole little sequence was, was really nice. They, it didn't look like... Uh, you know, it was choreographed at all, even though obviously they had the match laid out and the fin. Oh, I'm sorry, the finish laid out. But I, I just like the whole little sequence. I mean, it, it, it's, it was seamless, like it was perfect. Because when Olympia sends Akbar flying to the outside, like you said, he lands and Gang's timing is like perfect, where he comes in and drops that big, huge elbow after the drop kick. So uh, I mean, I don't know if you could really do it any better. Another thing to look at too is. The fans just reacting after Gang hits that move. Like, they were excited when they saw the drop kick, and they're on their feet, and then out of nowhere, Gang rolls in, bam, elbow, one, two, three, and they're almost in shock. That's how they, they that's the silence. They were like, wait, what just happened? Oh, come on, you got to be kidding me. Now, it was non-title, so he wasn't going to lose the belt. Point is, the way they did it, it was so seamless. It just, it just really meshed together really well. Olympia is really great. Uh, gang is really good for a guy his size. So it's a really good, fun TV match. And uh, once again, the one-man gang wins with that elbow drop. Non-title match, so the title does not change hands. The next match we get is Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch versus Kim Duck, probably best known as Tiger Chung Lee to American wrestling fans. Jerry Usher, the referee. We haven't seen Jerry Usher in months, I think. It's been a long time since we've seen him in his ill-fitting referee shirt here on this broadcast. It's a bounty match in the sense that Kim Duck is not a part of the Akbar stable, but he's been brought in to end the career of Dick Murdoch, which is why Hacksaw Duggan was there. Get Dick Murdoch, finish him off. So there's a bounty match. They are really laying it on thick with the Marine stuff here, Mike. I mean, I think they say Halls of Montezuma at least three times during this match. And I know they said it during an earlier match, but they're really laying it on thick with the whole Murdoch being a Marine thing. Yeah, they, it, it's almost too much. Uh, would you would you agree with that at all? Because that's what it, do you think it's too much? I should ask you that. I do, because when he was in there earlier in the year, there was nothing about this. And then Carl Cox came in with this exact gimmick and then Carl Cox was gone. And all of a sudden, Murdoch just adopted the entire gimmick. Yeah, it's they're they're doing a little bit too much, and I, I liked it at first, like with the first time he came out. I don't say first time he came out because he's been in Mid-South for a long time, but that time he came out, he's got the he's got the, the the backpack, and he and he starts pulling a beer out and the freaking shovel, and and he pulls out his tights and puts his tights on. Like I like that whole aspect of it because he was about to battle Bob Roop. He, he spits on his hands and rolls into the ring, and they're they're touting the whole you know Marine thing, but. 
it's yeah it's you know in wrestling when you when you i don't want to say when you do things too much it gets old but when you continually emphasize certain things it's like you get to the point where you're like i got it i got it i got it and i think that's kind of what we're 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 dealing with here we have a few notes from bill watts about how proud dick murdoch is to be a redneck let's listen to that right now when you're a redneck and proud of it there's certain things you stand for and dick murdoch has always stood for the united states the marine corps as he and Carl Cox used to refer to the 782 gear. I understand that that's your combat gear. Now he salutes the fans when he comes to the ring. The fans saluting him back, so they're backing him all the way, Bill. Well, you know, Dick Murdoch's liable to do anything. You know, it can almost be comical sometimes, and he's just dead serious. I saw him in a barroom brawl one night in Bossier City where there was just... I was falling down laughing, and he was beating some guy up that had just been ugly to him and completely out of line. And Dickie had him hammered and underneath the table, and then was eating, sat down and ate the guy's steak dinner. And if, you know, he's just a he's just a different guy. I absolutely believe that story happened because Watts was laughing too much for it not to be true. <laughs> he, he knew he was laughing because he came up with it and, and was amused at himself, or it was one hundred percent true. I would lean towards this is probably true, Watts. But just the way he throws it out there, he's so much of a redneck, you know, that he whooped the guy and then he ate the guy's steak dinner after doing so. Jesus, come on now. Old wrestling in the territory days. <laughs> well, we have a little bit more interesting audio, actually, from this match because Bill Watts is about to name check two future wrestlers from Mid-South Wrestling as well as collegiate wrestling royalty. Let's listen to this right now. This is really interesting stuff. We got some big news coming in the wrestling world. A young four-time All-American amateur wrestler from the University of Oklahoma, young Steve Dr. Death Williams. He's going to be turning pro this summer. It's going to be a unique situation because next year he should be the starting guard at the University of Oklahoma's great football team. But his eligibility is up in, the, in amateur wrestling. He's a redshirt fifth-year senior in football, though, so this should be a unique chance for a great young athlete. It's been my pleasure to watch his, his progress under Coach Stanley Abel. Matter of fact, I'm the I'm the biggest fan the University of Oklahoma wrestling team has. I love them all. Mark Schultz, Dave Schultz, Andre Metzger, Israel Shepard, Boo Thomas. Well, there you hear it, Mike. Not only Steve Dr. Death Williams, but Ed Carr, Boo Thomas gets a mention in 1982. Yeah, and when you – it's funny because, um, again, when you go back and rewatch these all these years later, um, I, you know how wrestlers debut and it's – while they're going through their changes and not just changes, but the way they look from the time they start to where they end up, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road in their career, uh, you, you know, they change, but because it happens kind of gradually, I don't know if you realize it as much. I, I will never forget the fact that when I, when I was rewatching this, I was like, wow, I didn't realize how much different Dr. Death looks in his initial match Oh, yeah. That he has on Mid South because it's coming up soon. Versus what you rem- what you probably remember him, you know, mid not even just two three years later. How much different he looks, how much he changes, and I, I won't spoil it if you're you know if you're a first timer. But as you're watching along, just pay attention. Like when you finally see him in Mid South for the very first match he has, how much different he looks because he looks totally different. We will certainly talk about that more in the coming weeks when he does appear, but let's now go to the finish of this match where referee Jerry Usher appears to catch a case of the Alfred Neelys. Let's go to this right now. Bill Akbar is on the move now. What's Akbar doing? 
Akbar's going to Mur Murdoch's pack. Akbar's got the entrenching tool out of Murdoch's pack. Jerry Usher tried to stop him. <coughs> they tried to get Murdoch, but he ducked out from under. He caught that trenching tool in midair, then fumbled it. And Dick Murdoch's got his trenching tool back. Skandarak, but Murdoch's still after him. Not that backfired. That, but Captain Redneck, Dick Murdoch, gains another victory over a backfired tactics of Kim Duck and Skandarak Bar. We'll be back when action continues on Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Once again, Dick Murdoch uses his shovel right in front of the referee. And, and this time it's multiple times in front of the referee. And no disqualification, still gets the victory. I guess because Akbar brought it into the ring, but still, that shouldn't matter. Yeah, that's how they justify it. Uh, it, it don't get also though something I love there when when Akbar gets the shovel and Jerry Usher clearly sees it, he swings it, he hits Kim Duck. When Murdoch turns around and plants him, he threw that shovel up in the air. Akbar took another one of his famous flop bumps for him as a manager. I just love that whole thing. I love seeing like Akbar when he gets hit. The way he flops, it's like, oh God, I'm dead. Somebody just shot me with a 12 gauge at point blank range. So, uh, but uh, Jerry Usher, yeah, he made a judgment call that he wouldn't DQ Murdoch, even though uh, he clearly used a shovel. He raises his hand at the end. He raises his hand with the shovel in it at that. Uh, just was like, <laughs> it's the literal, the freaking hand with the shovel. Jerry Usher raises it. I like the fact that Watts calls the use of the shovel like it's a football game. And Murdoch catches it in, in midair, and he and he fumbles it. You're like, what? <laughs> well, watch was Watts loved his Oklahoma wrestling and his Oklahoma football, so there, there's there's that connection. In my notes, I wrote Dick Murdoch won via cheating, and that's exactly what he did after using his shovel or the entrenching tool, as they call it. Our next match on the show, Mike, Iron Mike Sharp versus this is the first time we've seen this man, Billy the Star Child Star, and it's actually a pretty good little match. Takes a really good back body drop at one point. Interesting note, uh, by the way, Jerry Usher, once again, the referee, back-to-back -back matches. Usually we have Alfred Neely and Jack Howe rotating, but back-to-back -back matches from Jerry Usher here. Uh, Mike Sharp wins with the reverse backbreaker, but Billy Starr has the forearm guard. And of course, Mike Sharp later on in the WWF would become known for always having that forearm guard on. He doesn't have it on at this point in his career, but Billy Starr does. I thought that was interesting. That is pretty interesting when you consider, because again, most people, well, I don't say most people, but the WWF folks out there who weren't exposed to Mid-South, we talked about this a while back on the show, how Mike Sharp didn't have the the forearm guard. And I can always remember him from the days of uh, WWF that when I would watch him on the various shows and I always was as a kid, I was like, oh, he's got that thing loaded with something. So yeah, and he's got it. He's he, it's, it's brown. I always remembered Mike Sharp as being black, his forearm guard, but um. Uh, am I right on that? I feel like Mike Sharps yeah. was okay. Yeah, and uh, but he's you're right. He's got the forearm guard on on the right arm, just uh, just like Sharp would wear in the WWF later on down the line. From this match, we go to a really good tag team match in terms of the main event caliber here: the Assassin and the North American Champion Bob Roop versus Ted DiBiase and Ernie the Big Cat Lad, who of course have not gotten along in Mid South Wrestling, but they have a similar problem in Akbar and the One Man Gang, so they unite to form a team here, and Alfred Neely, the referee, there's a lot that goes on here, a lot. We're going to play the audio of the finish of the match, and then coming out of it, I'm going to let Mike attempt to explain everything that happens here, but let's now <laughs> go to this audio of the finish of this match. Bob Roop trying to take over on Ted DiBiase, Big Ernie Ladd looking on closely. 
Ted picking up that leg of Roops. Knee dropped that leg. Ted's going for the figure four. But you recall, Boyd Pierce, Roop is the man that designed the counter. Roop is the man that designed the counter and showed Paul Orndorff how to do it. He can't turn DiBiase. Notice DiBiase sitting up, he planting both it. hands wide, giving himself a wider base where Bob Roop can't get the leverage to turn him. DiBiase's learned to counter to stop the counter. The assassin starting in, the referee catches him. Lad coming to cut him off. But that's the tag team action. It's hard for an official to keep up. And the assassin comes in and kicks DiBiase, freeing Bob Roop. Lad to the rescue, but Roop tackled Lad from behind. And Lad fell on DiBiase. Now the assassin has loaded that mask. He's put something in that mask, and he's viciously headed, headbutting Ernie Lad, driven him into the corner. Ernie Lad caught him with a foot, but as it cleared him out, it's wiped out the referee. Power slam on DiBiase, nobody to count it. The assassin pulling DiBiase out on the floor. Going for that headbutt, DiBiase blocked it. And DiBiase does a little disqualification move of his own and rams the assassin's head into that steel post. I don't know what the assassin had in that mask, but it's not enough. His motors are gone, he's falling down. Ernie Ladd pounding away on Bob Root. Here comes the one-man gang, but DiBiase's meeting him. DiBiase meeting him. Ernie Ladd firing away. The one-man gang may be big, but he's not big when it compared to DiBiase. And Ladd, Ladd sits in that all-pro stance and drives him clear out of the ring. Here's the assassin back in the ring. The assassin back in the ring. Akbar's getting a one-man gang. Wait! That man loaded the boot! He loaded the boot. Well, that's, he did load the boot. That's not a tactic of the assassin. Ernie Lad's got Bob Root picked up. Alfred Neely back in the ring and referee. He loaded that boot, Boyd Pierce. And he motioned for the bell. And he's getting out of there. Ernie Lad's not noticing it. And he's making the signal. Alfred the Neely awards the, the assassin. Is stunned. Assassin and Bob Root, the winners. We'll be back with more action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. And, and you also get lots of fans yelling at the referee, which is always nice to see. But, Mike, so much happened there. It's actually pretty complex, and everything works out perfectly. What did you think of all that? Yeah, this was good. I mean, DiBiase, something that's small in the very start of it, DiBiase puts the figure four on Roop, and he and Roop is trying to reverse it. But DiBiase, as he sit, sits up in the figure four, he braces his, like, arms almost as, like, um, like leverage, and he's got his arms spread on the mat bracing himself so Roop can't turn it and something you heard Watts say was he's he's got the leverage set so that DiBiase has figured out a counter for the counter to the figure four which I mean I don't know if I've ever really heard anybody else explain it like that even today in wrestling when somebody can't be flipped uh it, that's in a figure four not that you see it a ton because I think I mean Charlotte does the figure eight but I don't really know who else really puts people in figure fours I don't watch enough current wrestling my point is though he braces himself so that Rube can't turn him you know eventually assassin does come in and he is able to break it when he boots DiBiase to the gut uh Alfred Neely gets wiped out of the ring uh when assassin stumbles into him assassin gets his head rammed into the ring post at some point uh gang runs in DiBiase and lad start firing away at gang gang takes a bump to the outside the grappler 
at the end is actually who comes in. He's wearing the assassin's mask. So I guess Alfred Neely sees the yellow mask and he assumes it's the assassin. Uh, but when he when he runs in, he loads the boot and he kicks DiBiase to the gut after being shot off the rope. He being the the grappler who we think is the assassin. Neely um, Neely calls the assassin and root the winners because Neely doesn't Alfred Neely doesn't realize it's the grappler who just knocked out DiBiase and then pinned DiBiase. Uh, root, you know, you hear you hear Watts on commentary. He's like, he's like, wait, that that move, that's that's obviously the grappler, and you you clearly see him load the boot, and we know it's the grappler's signature. Uh, so a lot a chaotic finish where DiBiase and Lad lose, but shenanigans you know as usual at the end there and some of the little details are really cool and that when the grappler runs in with the assassin's mask it's not on cleanly it, it appears like he literally was just handed the mask didn't tie it or anything just shoved it on his face and ran in there so that was kind of cool the other thing is it points out why it's important for wrestling announcers not to just yell at you the entire time because watts is explaining everything that's going down and there's a lot going down once again, the one-man gang takes a great bump to the floor. Alfred Neely takes a great bump to the floor. All this is going on, but when the grappler starts loading the boot, Watts' voice raises. He's explaining everything, and he's got the assassin ring. Wait a minute! That, the fact that you can raise your voice to show the emphasis on that one spot, as opposed to everything just being, here's what's going on here, which is a style of announcing that I think is ineffective. I think this shows why the other way is effective, why you can't just yell at your audience, why it has to be, at times conversational, at times following the action, and then you raise your voice when something important happens. I agree with that. I, and I think the key, too, is like for people out there, I think when when you when you put yourself in Alfred Neely's shoes, because I think that's an important thing to do here as, as you watch his finish, put yourself in his shoes and what's going down. He's He's got now five guys involved in this. A lot of chaos is going on around him. You know, Grappler runs in with this yellow mask on. I, I can, you can, I guess, I think you can still justify that Alfred Neely didn't realize what happened. Being that, you know, he's all he, all he noticed was the yellow mask. And he's like, oh, okay. He just, uh, it's over. So, and again, he just got bumped. So he's a little groggy, right? You know, you got to play that storyline up. I give Alfred Neely a pass on this one. Unlike some of the other times when he flat out just allowed somebody to get hit with a shovel and called the one, two, three. Uh, I think this one is a little bit more realistic in terms of him not realizing what just happened, given all the chaos that he's going on. I say five guys, if you count, if you count freaking uh, Akbar and the assassin himself, I mean, you're up to six guys if you're thinking about it, where it's just a lot going on and he's trying to maintain order and clearly things are flying around with him. So he's just doing the best job he can. He sees the yellow mask. He counts one, two, three, and that's that. I like when DiBiase hits the power slam on Roop, but the referee's out. The assassin grabs DiBiase by the hair, drags him out of the ring, goes for the head, but DiBiase puts up his hands to block it. I mean, it sounds like a very simple little thing, but it's effective. It's cool that he does it. And then he rams the assassin and the loaded head into the post, and the place goes crazy. So many little things as a part of this one big thing. This was just done flawlessly. This was really, really good stuff here. And from there, we get a remainder of TV time match. Buddy Landell versus the Turk, who, as they bring up on commentary, had not been here in quite a while. But during this match, Watts kind of puts his final notes on the previous match, the previous interaction between everyone. Let's hear that right now. Man, I've just about lost my voice here. I got so excited <clears throat> in that last match. 
to talk about these wrestlers and these athletes getting emotional. I guess it's hard for us to sit here and not get emotional too, but certainly I want to see the remaining moments of that last match because I've never seen the assassin load that boot. That's a trademark of one person, a man who wears an orthopedic boot called the grappler. And uh, the mask and everything, I don't know. The events happen so fast with Akbar shooting that one-man gang, and they're still trying to get Ernie Ladd, and they're trying to get Dan DiBiase. Akbar, oh, what a straight shot that was. That really shocked Buddy Landell. The Turk kicks in the gear. He's a man who can who can take care of himself, a rugged individual, a Greco-Roman and freestyle amateur from his country. Went for it again. Well, right there, we'll stop so we don't have to hear more commentary of Buddy Landell versus the Turk. Uh, by the way, there's no finish. Time runs out. Jerry Usher, once again, three matches on this show in his return. Jerry Usher, the referee, but Watts putting everything in place, explaining everything that happened, and this ended up being a great episode of Mid-South Wrestling. That match and that angle was really good. The one thing I have to say, I meant to say it during that match, and it's sad, but it's clear how physically Ernie Ladd's having a rough time in the ring. That physically he's not what he used to be, yeah. and he's a lot slower. And it's sad to see that. He's still great on promos, and I like having him there, but it's pretty apparent watching him that he's slowing down. And, of course, his career would wind up in, what, two and a half years. But uh, it's kind of sad seeing the state he looks to be in physically. Yeah, he he's he can't move. I mean, his I guess his knees were just maybe his his knees were just really shot at this point. It's really amazing that he's still out there doing his thing. And again, he's not done because it's 82 and, you know, we still got you're right. In two and a half years, he pretty much wraps up his career, at least in the ring. Um, But he could he could still cut promos. It's just he's he was limited. And and that's the one like I don't know if it's a regret, but that's one thing I'll say. You know, I obviously as a Mid-South fan. I'm catching Ernie Ladd literally in the twilight of his career. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I've not seen much footage of him earlier than that, but he is, he is literally at the end of his career. There's a, it's funny you say that because there's a match in like 83 in world class that I've uh, recently watched with him. And as, as I was doing a world-class review for book in the territory and, and he's, he works against Kamala and it's, it's just, it's hard to watch because you know how good he is and how great of a heel he was, but he, he it's like he's just lumbering around because his body's shot at that point in his wrestling career. I mean, hard enough for him to walk, much less have a – not that he can't walk. My point is hard, it's just hard to get around in that ring when your knees and your body starts to fail you. So I think – I think Ernie did the best he could, but to the point you're, you're making, um, he just he just can't do much more at this point. But again, he's still got two and a half years left, so he's he's making a go of it. Uh, th- thankfully, his promos were, were always outstanding, so it, it made it it made it a great watch. And with that, we have another episode of the Mid South Wrestling Television Review podcast in the books. I want to remind you that you can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. And you can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605pod. Speaking of the 605 Super Podcast, you can listen to it at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts, classic wrestling talk, and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Oh, please come listen to us twice per week. 
you can find us. Just search Booking the Territory anywhere you get your podcast from. You'll find us or go to tinyurl.com slash bttpod for each and every episode that we've ever done uh, over the course of our nearly four years now of podcasting. We do two shows a week, though. But you can also follow me at Mike504Saint on Twitter. And um, again, the BTT show is unprofessional, uh, strong language, so you have been warned. But it's classic wrestling and Doc and Harper and I, we have a great time discussing the NWA and Smoky Mountain Wrestling twice per week. So that's that, man. Thanks again, Brian. This has been another fun episode of Mid-South Wrestling, and I look forward to many more to come in the future. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Thank you.